Hill. Thanks for tuning in to Amy on the Hill, a podcast born out of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, which says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. so glad you're listening. Believe it or not, this is episode 26 of the podcast. So I've been at this for a little while now. It's still weird to me putting this out there and not completely knowing who is listening to it. But as time has gone on, I guess I have gotten more used to the feeling of talking to people I can't see. I'm just praying and hoping what I'm saying and processing through over here somehow resonates with you as somehow related to some of the situations and relationship dynamics you've got going on in your life. And I'm praying our time here on the podcast is an encouragement to you in those areas of your life. You're not alone in this. You're not the only one feeling this way. You're not the only one struggling with that. I hope that's something that's getting through to you uh, as you listen. Our discussion last week uh, is still haunting me this week. If you didn't listen to the podcast last week, I do want to recommend that you go back and listen because what is on my heart this week is so closely related to what we discussed last week. And for those of you who did listen last week, you know that basically I'm conflicted. The Bible doesn't make for a good argument in support of the comfortable American lifestyle. And I'm still just working through that, trying to understand really how to live this thing out as an American in this culture when so much of the way I live seems so different from the way Jesus lived. And I guess I'm Still just trying to sort through all of that. So as we get started, before we get too deep into this discussion, let's take some time to pray together. I'm going to pray for us, and I just want to ask that you prepare your heart to join me in prayer. So if you're multitasking right now and it's possible, stop what you're doing for a minute. If you're running or something on the treadmill or running out there, it's nice weather here where we live. Um... Just focus on giving your full attention to these words as we approach the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we come before you in prayer in the name of Jesus. Yesterday as I was praying, a famous person popped into my mind and I thought it would be so crazy If I were able to talk to that famous person whenever I wanted, it would be so crazy if I were such close friends with that famous person's child that due to my relationship with the child, I had full access to the parent. Well, it's not an exact analogy, but as I thought about it, as I approached you in prayer, I considered 
how the idea is similar to our amazing relationship with you through your Holy Son, Jesus. We come to you in Jesus' name. Jesus gives us access to you. Jesus made it possible for us to have a relationship with you. And not just any relationship, Lord. Your word says we are adopted into your family. Through Christ, we are sons and daughters ourselves. We're not just friends with your son. We are ourselves your children. We are children of the Most High God. How amazing is that, Lord? We thank you for the incredible and lavish love you have poured out on us. Help us to know how dearly we are loved. Help us to believe your way for us is so much better than the ways we think are better. Your word, Lord, as we've been studying and discussing, your word is radical. I am so tempted to make excuses for it. I want to justify things and explain away your commands. I'm wrestling with it, Lord. I really am. I don't want to settle for a comfortable life. And I definitely don't want to leave this group of friends listening in, coming alongside me, uh, down a road of excuses and complacency. So help me, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us to understand what this looks like practically. Help those of us in marriages and families and careers to understand how to balance all of this stuff in a way that is pleasing to you and in a way that is consistent with your will for our lives. We are so desperate for you, Lord, and we love you. Again, it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for praying with me. For those of you who are new to the podcast, what we're discussing week to week is a book entitled Crazy Love by author and teacher Francis Chan. And we're also reading through one chapter of the Bible each week. This past week, we read chapter eight of Crazy Love entitled Profile of the Obsessed. And out of the Bible, we read 1 John chapter four. As I say every week, you don't have to read along with us in order to listen to this podcast and benefit from the discussion. I think hopefully it's still interesting and helpful, even if you're not reading along. But that being said, I do want to invite you to join us in the reading. Even though we're coming to the end of the book, this is a podcast. So, of course, you can start at the beginning and work through this at your own pace. If you're not presently working through any kind of Bible study or if you don't have your own Bible reading plan, I think this is a great starting point to help get yourself on a Bible reading and Bible study schedule. You could even invite a friend to join you in reading along so that will give you some extra accountability while also helping your friend along in their faith walk. So it's a win-win. So just think about it. Pray about it. I hope you'll join us. You can find a link to order a copy of Crazy Love from Amazon under the resources section of my website. Just scroll down a bit and you'll see a picture of the book. You can also pick up a copy of the book at most bookstores. You can probably get a used copy on eBay or something. I'm sure it's available on your Kindle. However you like to read it, it's a pretty popular book. So It shouldn't be too hard to find. Okay, so back to our discussion. As I mentioned at the outset, 
I'm still feeling pretty conflicted. When I published the podcast last week, I didn't entirely have a piece about the content. I want so much to be faithful to the truth and what I communicate here. And again, some of the conclusions I'm coming to kind of scare me. I'm not sure if I'm being faithful to what God is saying to us through his word here. On some level, it feels like I'm making excuses for my comfortable life, and I definitely don't want to mislead any of you to feel confident in doing the same thing. Maybe this is one of those things that we're never supposed to be comfortable with. Maybe the tension is part of it, and maybe that's why I can't just put this in a box, tie it with a bow, and put it in its place. Instead, it feels like it's something that constantly needs to be laid out before the Lord, giving him full access to it, always making it available to be evaluated and reevaluated as we walk according to the Spirit. And for clarity, of course, what I'm talking about, if you're reading along or you listened last week, I'm sure you know this, but just in case you're not tracking with me here, what I'm talking about is this tension between our lives here as American Christians and the kind of life we see Jesus live, the kind of life we're challenged to live as we read God's word plainly. I think earlier in the book, Francis wrote that he was attempting to read the Bible uh, without the lens through which he'd read it his whole life as an American Christian. He wanted to read it like a 12-year-old kid who just read it on its face as if he were reading it for the first time and without looking around at the world around him to see how we've tried to squeeze it into our American lifestyles. He wanted to read it with fresh eyes. And in doing that, he came to entirely different conclusions about himself, the way he lived his life, uh, the way his family operated, his church, and how they should do ministry. It basically changed everything. And it should change everything for us, too. Um, but I still personally feel uh, this internal resistance. I feel like I still have a, a lot of excuses. Some of them, I, I honestly think, are legitimate, but I'm really trying to stay open, and I want to encourage you to do the same. Please don't you know, justify your choices um, uh, by my flawed interpretations of this stuff. Get before God with it. Hold it out to him. Give him access to it. Give him access to you without excuse, without reservation. Let him show you uh, what this means in your life. Let him direct your steps on his path. God has a good plan for you. He has a unique plan for you. I don't want to miss the plan he has for me, and you don't want to miss the plan he has for you. It's what we were made for. So let's be willing to step out with him and follow him to places we've never considered so he can take us to places we've never been. chapter Profile of the Obsessed, Francis opened by noting that the idea of holding back certainly didn't come from scripture. The Bible teaches us to be consumed with Christ and to faithfully live out 
his words. Francis wrote, there has to be more to our faith than friendliness, politeness, and even kindness. True faith is loving a person after he has hurt you. True love makes you stand out. Francis also quoted Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36, which say, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Francis also quoted Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, which say, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Francis then went on throughout the chapter to detail what people who are obsessed with Jesus look like, to detail how people who are obsessed with Jesus live. He wrote, people who are obsessed with Jesus give freely and openly without censure. Obsessed people love those who hate them and who can never love them back. He also wrote, people who are obsessed with Jesus aren't consumed with their personal safety and comfort above all else. Obsessed people care more about God's kingdom coming to this earth than their own lives being shielded from pain or distress. People who are obsessed with Jesus live lives that connect them with the poor in some way or another. Obsessed people believe that Jesus talked about money and the poor so often because it was really important to him. And he cited 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, and Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Obsessed people are more concerned with obeying God then doing what is expected or fulfilling the status quo. A person who is obsessed with Jesus will do things that don't always make sense in terms of success or wealth on this earth. As Martin Luther put it, there are two days on my calendar, this day and that day. Again, he referenced Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 23, Matthew chapter 8, verses 8 through 22 and Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. If you have a chance, check out these verses, write them down, look them up for yourself, spend some time meditating on, on them in prayer. Next, Francis wrote, a person who is obsessed with Jesus knows that the sin of pride is always a battle. Obsessed people know that you can never be 
humble enough. And so they seek to make themselves less known and Christ more known. And the reference there is Matthew 5.16. People who are obsessed with Jesus do not consider service a burden. Obsessed people take joy in loving God by loving his people. The reference there is Matthew 13.44 and John 15.8. People who are obsessed with God are known as givers, not takers. Obsessed people genuinely think that others matter as much as they do. And they are particularly aware of those who are poor around the world. The reference there is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. A person who is obsessed thinks about heaven frequently. Obsessed people orient their lives around eternity. They are not fixed only on what is here in front of them. A person who is obsessed is characterized by committed, settled, passionate love for God above and before every other thing and every other being. People who are obsessed are raw with God. They do not attempt to mask the ugliness of their sins or their failures. Obsessed people don't put it on for God. He is their safe place where they can be at peace. People who are obsessed with God have an intimate relationship with him. They are nourished by God's word throughout the day because they know that 40 minutes on Sunday is not enough to sustain them for a whole week, especially when they will encounter so many distractions and alternative messages. A person who is obsessed with Jesus is more concerned with his or her character than comfort. Obsessed people know that true joy doesn't depend on circumstances or environment. It is a gift that must be chosen and cultivated, a gift that ultimately comes from God. And the reference there is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. A person who is obsessed with Jesus knows that the best thing he can do is to be faithful to his Savior in every aspect of his life, continually saying thank you to God. An obsessed person knows there can never be intimacy if he is always trying to pay God back or work hard enough to be worthy. He revels in his role as child and friend of God. These, Francis said, don't necessarily answer the question of what it looks like to be wholly surrendered to God, but they represent important pieces of the puzzle. Hopefully, Francis writes, we are beginning to imagine and pray about what this looks like in our own lives. So I realize Francis went through a lot of different qualities of people who are obsessed with Jesus. This was not a short list, and the discussion for each in the book was very thought-provoking. We don't have too much time left today, otherwise it would be really great to be able to go through each quality and discuss it one by one, but since we're limited on time, I'm just going to choose one. Uh, This quality uh, stands out to me personally in light of what God has been showing me over the past six months especially. And so I thought this would be a good one for us to consider, okay? So let me read for you again the quality that really stands out 
uh, to me personally because of what God has been showing me lately. People who are obsessed with Jesus aren't consumed with their personal safety and comfort above all else. Obsessed people care more about God's kingdom coming to this earth than their own lives being shielded from pain or distress. Did you hear that? I'm going to repeat it. People who are obsessed with Jesus aren't consumed with their personal safety and comfort above all else. Obsessed people care more about God's kingdom coming to this earth than their own lives being shielded from pain or distress. That right there is a challenging thought, isn't it? Listen, I don't want to get political here. I love and respect a lot of people who disagree with me on a lot of issues. I'm sure that's true of all of us today. So I hope if we disagree on some issues here, you can find it in your heart to hear me out and extend grace where I need it in areas where I might be blind to some of the fallacies in my reasoning or whatever. I know I don't have all the answers, far from it. But I do want to say that, again, over the past six months, God has been showing me, has been personally showing me that making decisions out of fear, making decisions or coming to conclusions out of a desire to preserve our own personal safety and comfort is not consistent with the teaching of the Bible. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21, and Romans chapter 12, verse 20. Both say, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 31 says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Matthew chapter 5 verse 39 says, do not resist the one who is evil. That doesn't sound reasonable or safe. That doesn't sound like a good platform for an upcoming political candidate. Hey, let's feed our enemies. Hey, let's do good to those who hate us. Hey, let's not resist people who are evil. That sounds crazy. (laughs) That is crazy. But I don't see anywhere in the Bible that says be logical about this. Make sure the people you show love to are safe. Make sure they don't want to take too much from you. Make sure they won't hurt you. I understand that reasoning. That reasoning sounds very logical to me. But I don't find it anywhere in the Bible. And honestly... Recognizing this has been a challenging realization for me in recent months because 
in many ways, the American church, and I don't mean every Christian who is an American, but for the most part, uh, the mainstream American church is not only advocating for safe, logical policies, they are also branding these policies as Christian ideas. And understandably, it seems the world is confused by this. It seems people outside the faith can read the Bible more plainly than many of the people who claim to give their lives to its teachings. And again, I speak as one who has taken a while to come around to these realizations myself. I speak as one whose instinct is to self-protect and to be logical. But in love, I want to challenge all of us to see if that is actually so, to see if we can find biblical support to turn our backs on people seeking refuge, to consider whether the foundation of our beliefs are based in fear or if the foundation of our beliefs are based in God's sometimes very crazy love. Again, I wish we had more time to go through each one of the qualities Francis explored with us in this chapter. If you were here with me, I'd want to ask you which quality stood out most to you? Which quality is presently the most challenging for you? Did any of these qualities surprise you, scare you, encourage you? I know the quality I latched onto there in the last segment is kind of a political hotspot, but I hope by now we have enough love and respect for each other to be able to consider hard questions like that. Proverbs uh, chapter 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. By talking through this stuff, we better each other. We sharpen each other. It's a beautiful thing. It also means, however, that there can be some heat. There's got to be some friction for iron to sharpen iron. So let's just keep being willing to let God use us in each other's lives. When God was working to change my perspective on this issue, he actually led me to another podcast called The New Activist, where I happened to be listening to a two-part interview with a man named Jeremy Courtney. Jeremy Courtney is the co-founder and executive director of a ministry called Preemptive Love Coalition. And what preemptive love teaches is that at the core of violence and conflict is fear. At the core of violence and conflict is fear. We fear loss. We fear shame. We fear ideologies and religions. We fear vulnerability. So preemptive love uh, fights first with attitudes and words and then with fists and bombs. They describe themselves as a global movement of peacemakers changing the way we engage the world's most polarizing conflicts by confronting fear with acts of love. And man, do these people back it up. They are in the middle of the conflict against ISIS, loving people in the most dangerous of situations, loving people who look different, have a different faith, 
people who are even trying to kill them. Recently, a woman carrying a baby walked up to receive aid from them and blew herself up. Uh, what they're doing, the kind of risk they're taking to extend love is crazy. It is crazy love. If you're not familiar with preemptive love, I do want to encourage you to check out their website at preemptivelove.org. Or if you're looking for something else to listen to this week, look for that episode of the podcast uh, called, um, the podcast is called The New Activist, and then search for their two-part interview with Jeremy Courtney. This interview aired, I think, in late 2016, so you may have to scroll back a bit to find it, but it's definitely worth the effort. It's a really compelling uh, podcast episode. It won't bore you, that's for sure. It will definitely inspire you, though, and probably if you're like me, it will challenge you a lot, too. Uh, but that's good for us. Uh, you don't build muscle by sitting on the couch. You've got to exercise your muscles to build them up. And you've actually, um, you know, you've got to break them down. I think that's the scientific understanding that I have. I'm probably wrong. But in order to build up your muscles, you've got to break them down to build them up. Our minds are the same way. We have to force ourselves to see outside of our perspectives, if we're going to see more, if we're going to understand more, and especially if we're going to grow in our love for people who differ from us. It's so hard at times, but again, it is so worth it. much for listening today. That concludes this episode of Amy on the Hill. This week we're reading 1 John chapter 5 out of the Bible, and out of Crazy Love we're reading chapter 9, Who Really Lives That Way? The reading schedule, as always, can be found under the resources section of my website, amyonthehill.com. If you do check out the website while you're there, please be sure to subscribe to receive notifications when blog posts or new episodes of the podcast are published. There should be a pop-up that lets you subscribe to the newsletter, but if you don't see the pop-up, scroll all the way down to the bottom of the website and you'll be able to subscribe there. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter under the handle AmyBXHill. And of course, I have an Amy on the Hill Facebook page, so be sure to check that out and like the page. Thanks so much again for listening today, and as we close, please receive the blessing of this benediction from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>